Well, welcome everyone. I'm so glad to see you here on this Thanksgiving weekend. Hey, on the stage, there are some folks that are with me, and I want to introduce them to you, but I got to catch you up to a story first. Back in July, um, we hired a student pastor. And uh, if you're a parent, you already know this because we communicated with you in real time as events were happening. If you're not a parent of a student in our student ministries, you may not know. But we hired a student pastor, and for a variety of reasons, um, we felt like it wasn't a good fit. So after a few weeks, rather than dragging it out, uh, we had an honest conversation and helped him transition to another place. Well, that left us in a situation where we still needed to do incredible student ministries because kids and students makes up a big part of who we are around here. And so uh, Pastor Melissa and Pastor Will um, jumped in in deep ways to help make sure that the ministry wouldn't miss a beat. And uh, they didn't do it alone. They had an incredible group of volunteers. And so um, Melissa primarily brought leadership for Sunday morning for middle school. But the person who did a lot of the teaching so that she could be in here with us was a young man by the name of Derek Kugler. And he's right here. And his wife, Rachel. And uh, they're an amazing couple. And did I get that right? Yep. You're laughing. I'm like, I'm like, oh, my gosh. I have made more mistakes on this stage. And so sometimes I get a little gun shot. Uh, <laughs> but uh, they've been an amazing um, set of volunteers. And then on Sunday evenings, Will provided most of the teaching on, uh, on Sunday evenings and most of the leadership there. But um, there was a, a handful of volunteers, and among the highest ranking and most effective volunteers were Ethan and Sophia Stiefel. And many of you recognize Sophia because for about a year, she worked directly with me, helping manage my calendar and a lot of other crazy things that come to my life. Just an amazing uh, staff person around here. And so we've been, for the last five, six months, trying to figure out what are we going to do long term. Because it's a high value for us to bring the right skills, the right people, the right kind of leadership to both our middle school and high school environments. So we have been chatting as a staff team about how to tackle this and how to look forward in a way that we don't get into the same situation where we have a great candidate on paper, but just the chemistry of the fit together didn't work. We don't want to do that again. And so what we decided we would do is we would go to the people who were basically leading anyway and ask them <clears throat> if they felt called, if they'd pray about leading our middle school and our high school environments. And at the end of those conversations, they said they would. They said they felt like that would honor God, that would honor their time, their commitment, their heart, and their love for this church. And so I'm introducing to you now, for the very first time, our new middle school directors, and they are right here, Derek and Rachel, and our new high school directors, Ethan and Sophia Stiefel. Would you give it up for them real quick? Yeah. And uh, I can't think of a better group of people to lead our students. It's a ministry near and dear to my heart. My own kids are in it. And um, so uh, it gets priority attention from me, always has. And we've kind of wrestled in the last couple years of trying to find the right kind of leadership. And I feel like we finally have arrived at that place where we're going to see that. And I wanted you to hear from them briefly today. But first, Melissa, let, let me ask you. Um, you've got a mic on, right? I do. Yeah. I wanted to ask you, um, how's it been being in middle school? Because months ago, you stepped away from primary leadership and you joined into adult ministries. Right. Um, leading as our kind of development pastor. So tell me about your excitement for this new season in middle school 
where you've been, where you're going, and why you're excited about this. Um, I'm really excited because, first of all, Derek um, has been on the middle school team since I came here. What is it, five years ago in students, right, or four and a half, five years ago. And Rachel was my very first part-time assistant um, years ago before um, they had their baby. So um, they've been in the ministry. They know the kids. They know the families. Um, when I stepped out, Derek began teaching um, three times a month in there. And, you know, that's great, and they're doing really well. In fact, our numbers are up. Um, so, you know, my feelings are hurt, but that's okay. Um, but numbers are up a little bit. But what, they're, what, what was missing was the holistic approach to ministry, um, the parent connection, the, um, the really catching up with kids during the week, the um, administrative part that really helps you to know families and where people are, as well as the teaching and the follow-up on that. So um, I'm really excited that they get to experience the whole ministry instead of stepping in on a Sunday morning to teach. And I think parents, um, you're going to see, uh, you're going to see some terrific, uh, momentum build up with the middle school. So I'm excited. Derek, we're really glad that you're here. Um, Derek has a degree actually. And Derek, I don't want to misspeak, but is it in student ministries? What's the technical name? It's not officially a degree, but I do have a lot of training in, uh, Ministry of Pastoral Leadership stuff. At, from Cincinnati Christian University. From Pastoral Leadership Institute. Pastoral, okay. I totally got that wrong. <laughs> it's all right. See, that's why I read a script right there. All right. Yeah. Um, so Derek brings a lot of knowledge and a lot of skill, but as you heard from Melissa, a lot of heart. Derek, as you think forward for you guys, uh, what I wanted to hear from you was how can we as a church pray for and support you guys um, as you think about the ministry here? Is there something on your heart and on your mind as you begin this journey? Uh, for us, it's one of the key things is just my family, because that's my first and priority. It's just that I keep the focus on them as well as the students and that I can, because we have a little boy, Roman. If you've never seen him, he's the redhead, cute little boy that runs around here. He's adorable. Um, so to keeping my focus not just on your students, but as well as keeping my family strong and on where they need to be going. That's awesome. Did you want to add anything to that, Rachel? I mean, I also want to, like, pray for the students, too. Um, I mean, we are going to be in charge, so that's a little scary. Not really. But we are very excited to be with these children. It is middle school. You yeah, might need we to are. Be scared. <laughs> but we, yeah, just for their hearts to be opened and willing to listen to what God has for them and so that they can grow in their faith, as ours, too. Like, we, we need to grow, too, but we want to grow alongside, with, uh, alongside of them. That's awesome. That's incredible. So. We're so thrilled that, that you guys are here, and thanks for stepping up to this new level. So they'll be serving as a part-time staff. Most of their hours will be spent with students and not camping out in an office. And so we're really excited about that. Um, and then, Will, for the last few months, you've been bringing the primary teaching to high school uh, ministry and providing some leadership there. Same thing I asked Melissa. As you think about the last couple months and where you've been and where you are now, what are you excited for as you look forward towards this new leadership? Yeah, I'm really, really excited. There's being on a team and serving on a team. There's, there's two things. There's, there's good volunteers and then there are great volunteers. Great volunteers go above and beyond. They stay late. They serve. They take kids home. They talk, they text, they connect. And that's what these two are in high school. I've been, I've had the opportunity to lead it and, and to speak some, but you're looking at the best the greatest volunteers that we've had in our high school ministry the whole entire time I've been there. And that's pretty cool. That doesn't happen a lot. Uh, uh, sometimes, I know growing up in my youth group, it was kind of the parents that would serve the food, and they kind of hang out in the back and didn't want to interact with the students, and those were, you know, our volunteers. But that's not the case here. So if you're a parent in the room, you're getting the best. Uh, you're getting, honestly, the best volunteers that we've had in high school ministry for 
a year, you know, a year and a half. Uh, so I'm really excited for that. It's been an honor to lead it, but I'm so pumped that I can give it off to uh, two great volunteers who are going to lead this thing uh, and lead this ministry. Yeah. So, so Will, they were volunteers. Now they're part-time staff. Um, and you're going to love, I think, Ethan and uh, Sophia. Uh, guys, why don't you tell me um, a little bit about what we can do as a church to support and pray for you. What, Ethan, what's on your heart and uh, what are you excited about? Yeah, thank you. So I had a, I would say probably about as strong a foundation as you could have coming out of high school. So I was blessed with my parents being involved in church and a really cool youth pastor. So I know what it's like to have an incredibly strong foundation in the word and scripture and still how easy it is to get bent when you go out into the real world. So one of my prayers would be that um, God would give us wisdom to speak truth and love to really deepen the high school students' Um, knowledge of his word and just their foundation so that when they go out in the world they have what it takes to you know to bear the winds and the storm and then I, the other thing would be for us um, just as we dive in here um, to grow us individually in our our walk but also together in our marriage so yeah Sophia as you kind of transition from the day-to-day office routines more into this is there anything you're excited about anything on your heart as you think about it um, yeah, I'm just excited in general to do some more hands-on work with the students and really help them grow towards Christ in a different way than I feel like we have been. But my, my two major prayers right now are just that our vision for the ministry would be in line with God's will for the ministry in this season. And just for the kids, I just pray that we're able to challenge them in a way that enables them to not just show up on a Sunday night and invite their friends, but that Monday through Saturday, they're wrestling with the truths of scripture and what that will mean long-term for their life and for their ministry in the future. So those are just two of my major prayers right now. I know Sophia more than the other folks on stage because she worked with me, but what you don't know is the reason we hired her is we were having dinner with uh, she and her husband, Jill and I were, and she said, I think I have a call to ministry. And I felt, again, kind of this quickening from the Lord saying, don't miss this. Don't miss this. And so over the next few weeks, we were able to get her a job here. And I said to her, just look, if this is true, just get in and we'll see what's happening. And uh, it's been clear that the Lord has been developing her and getting her ready uh, for ministry at a different level than just helping keep my calendar and keep things organized for me in life. And so I'm really excited at your growth. For all of you, thank you for stepping up. It's a really, really, really big deal. You have my 100% commitment for support, and I promise you, you've never served in a church that's going to be more committed to your success than the folks here. We're very, very proud of what you're doing. I'm excited for my kids. Last thing I'll say, when I told my kids what we were doing, we are all together, and they're like, that's really good. That was their impression. That's really good. They already love you. Thanks for what you've already done. We're looking forward to what God's going to do through you in the next several years, all right? One more time, you say thank you to them. Yeah. So as we come to the end of the year, if you're around Four Corners, you'll know that there's often a lot of changes. There's a reason for that. We go into kind of an evaluative mode in September, October, November, and come December, we start making the changes, looking forward to a new year. That's what you're hearing here. We're going to begin a brand new message series today. We're just calling it Advent. Advent simply means the coming, the coming. We're going to talk about the coming of Jesus. Now, this is a story that's been around for about 2,000 years. And if there was ever a part of the Bible that is relatively known by most people, it's the Christmas story. This is that part of the Bible that's still in our culture. People will talk about, they'll go into stores and they'll hear music explaining the story. 
um, incredibly direct and theologically rich comments about what's going on in the Advent happens all through the life of our culture. You can still drive through most towns and see nativity scenes set up. You hear that music on 93.3 or whatever station they're playing in the store you're in, and I'll be walking through the store looking for Christmas gifts, and I'll hear segments of the gospel story in bold black and white language. My favorite example of where this shows up in culture is in the Charlie Brown Christmas special. And there's that scene when everything's kind of crazy and Charlie Brown kind of loses it like he always does. And doesn't anybody know what Christmas is about anymore? And at that point, the camera angle kind of shifts to one little boy and he says, I know what it's about, I'll tell you. And he begins to quote the story from Luke about the coming of the Savior. The challenge, though, with so much familiarity with the story is sometimes you miss the nuances. And you miss the specialness of it. And what we're going to do in this message series this week, the weeks leading up to Christmas Eve Eve and on Christmas Eve, we're going to take a fresh look at the Christmas story. So if you're not that familiar, it's good. It's good. This will be new to you. But if you are familiar, what I want to do without trying to be like all edgy or, or weird or to be new for new sake, I want us to look at some of those things that if you just take a surface look at the story, you might miss. We're going to look at a handful of people each week, one each week. And we're going to look at what happened to them and how they encountered the coming of Jesus. We want to be inspired by their story, but not just inspired by their story. We want to learn from their story. We we want to pick out the parts that we can model after as we grow in our relationship with Jesus. And there are a handful of moments that we should avoid as we think about our relationship with Jesus. And we can learn that by looking a little bit more deeply with fresh eyes at their story. Have you ever had a a fresh eyes kind of moment? I was trying to think about when I had a fresh eye moment, and this is the one that came to mind. I don't know if it's the greatest illustration in the world, but years ago, there was a movie that came out called The Sixth Sense. Now, if you haven't seen that movie and you intend to watch it over Christmas, you're going to want to leave right now because I'm going to spoil it for you, all right? This movie's about over a decade old, so I'm reasonably safe here, I think. It's not like I'm going to tell you what's going to happen on, you know, your favorite TV show coming up. But I remember watching that show, that movie, for the first time. It was a little scary. I'm not uncomfortable with scary stuff. There's a little gore in it, and so it's not for little kids, right? A little disclaimer there. I remember watching that movie and getting all the way to the end and being totally surprised that the main two characters, the main two characters, the little boy who could see dead people, I see dead people, was talking the whole time to the adult guy in the, in the story. It turns out he was dead the whole time. Right, did, did you know that? Did you know that happened? All right, so I watch it. I'm like, this is an awesome movie. It's totally cool. I missed all the little clues. Months later, I'm sitting with a group of people who hadn't seen the movie, and they decide we're going to watch this movie. And so we watched the movie again. I already know the thing, and I'm one of the, I didn't say anything. I didn't say anything. I didn't act like I knew it was going to happen. Don't you have to sit with people like at a theater or whatever, and they're like, ooh, this next scene's really good. And there's the whole time, I, I wasn't that guy at all. But now I'm watching the movie, and I kind of know how it's going to end. But instead of kind of watching the overarching story, now I'm paying attention to the nuance. And I'm watching the movie, and I'm saying, oh, oh that, that was a clue. I just didn't know where that clue was taking us. But now that I know the ending, I can look back and I know where that clue here, that little foreshadowing that wasn't so obvious, now I see how that's all connected. And that's kind of what I want to do here. I want us to look at a handful of stories that you know. And a lot of you know where this is going. This is going to end with Jesus, the Savior of the world, coming. That's the spoiler. 
but there's a lot of richness here as well. So in your message notes, the one with the, uh, the dirty face of Pastor Will playing soccer on it, if you'll open that up, uh, I want us to begin in Luke chapter 1. Luke chapter 1. Luke chapter 1 in your Bible, in your message notes, on your phone or on the screen. I generally don't like to read a lot to you, but I, I want to read this passage. You can follow along with me if you, if you will. And I have turned old in recent years, and so I need to throw these on. All right, here we go. Luke chapter 1. In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You'll conceive and give birth to a son, and you are to call him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. How will this be, Mary asked the angel, since I am a virgin. The angel answered, the Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age. And she who was said to be unable to conceive is in her sixth month. For no word from the Lord, or no word from God will ever fail. And then Mary replies this way. I'm the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May your words to me be fulfilled. Then the angel left her. And our first blank, I always want to give you the kind of core thought for today. We're not going to spend a whole lot of time on this. It's not complicated, but I think it's profound. When you don't understand what God is doing, when you don't understand what God is doing, remember what God has spoken. When you don't understand what God is doing, remember what God has spoken. There's a lot of things we could say about this passage. There are a lot of truths we could pull out. There are dozens of applications. That's the beauty of the Bible. It's rich. It's multidimensional. Depending on what season you are in life and what circumstance you're in, you can read the same passage over a number of years and each time discover a brand new application for your life. That's the power of a book that is also alive with the spirit and the breath of God. And so there's a lot of ways we could go with it. I wanted to start our message series, though, reminding you that you can trust the Lord. If Christmas is about anything. It's about promises kept. It's about promises kept that at times it didn't feel like the promises were going to be kept. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the four Gospels in the New Testament, they open with the beginnings of the story of Jesus and his impact in the world. But in your Bible, when it's located, what you may not know is that when you turn the page from Malachi, the last book in your Old Testament, and the very next page, it perhaps there's a divider page that says New Testament, but the very next page is Matthew chapter 1. What you often don't realize, perhaps, is there's some 400 plus years of silence in between Malachi, the last prophet of the Old Testament, and Matthew's words, and Luke's words, and Mark's words, and John's words. It's a lot of time. The Old Testament Bible, the ancient Jewish scriptures that tells the stories of what God did through that group of people to get the world ready for Jesus. Specific instructions to them on how to live life as a group of people together following God. 
So much of that content anticipated the coming of a Messiah. And so much of the common life in Israel at the time was consumed. There was conversation about the coming Messiah. And the promises were there. They're black and white. We're going to, over the next few weeks, explore a few of them. But it was delayed. It, it took a long time. The, the kind of delay that happens when you think, man, there's been so much time. Is it ever going to happen? And at the time that Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and John begin to write their story, a lot of hap- had happened in Israel's history. Not only had a lot of time happened, there was dramatic geopolitical change. At the time of the coming of Jesus, Rome is in power. And Israel, it could be said in some regard, is at its weakest ever in all the story of the Bible. And there was ever a group of people who were ready for a Messiah, but who were wondering if it was ever going to happen, it was the people of the New Testament. And to that world, and to that mental and emotional exhaustion, waiting on a promise to happen, God fulfills his promise. You can trust God. He's trustworthy. At the core, the Christmas message means God keeps his promises. And the good news for every person in here in this room today is that when you can't understand what's going on in life, when what's going on around you doesn't make sense, when it doesn't fit your expectations, even when it doesn't fit what you think you were supposed to get by having a relationship with God, when you can't see and understand what God is doing and make sense of it, you can still trust him. You can trust him. He keeps his word. He keeps his promise. And when I think about the Christmas story, several things come to mind. The first one is is that the Christmas story really isn't written in the way I think most people would write it. The Christmas story, that's your second blank, isn't written in the way most people would write it. I think when I think about the Christmas story, if I were going to write the Christmas story, I wouldn't keep it as messy as it is in the pages of the Bible. In the pages of the Bible, there's some incredible, like, detail that unless you understand the whole story, it doesn't seem to add a lot of value. In fact, it seems to be a distraction from the heroes of the story. If I were writing a story about the saving of the world, I don't know that I'd put the savior of the world in a little teenage young lady who was unmarried, she was engaged but unmarried, and create some kind of scandal around her pregnancy. I don't know. That if I were going to bring the Savior of the world, that I'd put the Savior of the world into some kind of backwater town where there isn't a whole lot of political clout, not a lot of economic vibrancy. I don't think that's the way I'd write the Christmas story. If I were going to write the story of the, the Savior of the world, I don't think I'd begin talking about an unusual kind of family dynamic, where there's a guy who is at first embarrassed about his pregnant wife because he knows he didn't do that, and yet there she is, and he knows what everybody's going to say about it. There's a lot of just extra detail in the Christmas story that if you're not careful, if you don't look at it, perhaps with fresh eyes, the nuance and the meaning of it doesn't jump out at you. But in Mary's story today, there's a lot of powerful stuff for us. God keeps his promises. And when you can't understand what God is doing, you can still trust his word. He keeps his word. That's the Christmas story. And I said, as I 
think about it. If I would write it, I might write it differently. But then on the other hand, when I think about the Christmas story, I realize that the Christmas story is like a lot of our lives. In fact, your next blank, like the Christmas story, our lives have their share of confusing plot twists and turns and unexpected realities that you have to deal with. Some of you are going into the Christmas season right now, and you don't have the option of being totally in the holiday spirit because there's other stuff going on in your life that if you could choose, you wouldn't have it happen. And some of you have you know, medical diagnoses that you would rather not have to deal with, especially at this time. And some of you have financial pressures. There's some relational muckiness. There's issues with kids or with parents. Some of you were just this week around family, and you realized why it is you only hang out with them a few times a year. Again, you were reminded of that, right? It's just the way it goes. For all of us, our lives are filled with twists and turns. And I think if you read the Christmas story with fresh eyes, I think you're reminded that God understands twists and turns. And I think if you'll let the story speak, and if you'll let the whisper of God through his spirit speak to you, God would remind you today that even in the twists and turns, when you don't understand what's going on, you can trust what he said. He keeps his promises. He's going to fulfill what he said he was going to fulfill. He can be depended upon. And when everything else in life is changing, the one anchor of your soul that is unchanging is the character, the nature of God is trustworthy. And so at Christmas, I think we have a special invitation. Your next blank. Christmas is an invitation, a reminder that God can be trusted with writing the rest of your story. You can trust God. He's still writing your story. If you still have breath in your lungs, he's not done with you. Your story is not over. And you can trust him with your story. We, we see in the person of Mary here, we see in her a person who, and it, the, the Bible even says she's perplexed at the greeting. Like, what's going on here? All of a sudden, I'm just living life, and here is this thing here, this angel, this messenger from God talking to me. What's going on here? She's perplexed at what kind of greeting and what this would mean. And yet as you watch her engage, something powerful is demonstrated through her life. This radical dependence upon God. That when she can't even know what's going to happen next, she can fully trust the Lord. And when her life is taking turns she didn't anticipate and didn't design, she can trust the Lord. And so we see in Mary kind of a, a confusing conundrum, if you will. Your next couple blanks, Mary was greatly troubled and greatly trusting at the same time. I mean, let me just ask you, has your faith grown to that point where you could admit that you've been there too? Now, sometimes when people first start out in faith, or maybe you're in a particular Christian environment, you can't say if you're a Christian, you can't say it out loud at least, I'm greatly troubled, because that implies a lack of faith. It implies that you have some growing up to do, but we don't see that in Mary at all. What we see in her is an ability to say, I'm not sure what this means and what's going to happen, and I trust God. Greatly troubled and greatly trusting. You don't have to raise your hand, but I'm wondering if you've ever been there. Can I be honest? I've been there. 
I've been there at times when I didn't think I was going to be there, and I woke up and realized I'm there. There were some times in my life where I had some early inclination. It might go there, and sure enough, it went there. I've been there, greatly, to the best of my ability, trusting and greatly troubled. What do you do? What do you do when you're greatly troubled and you're trying to greatly trust? I don't know the whole solution, but I know this. When you find yourself there and you don't understand what God's doing in your life, when you can't see where it's moving, you can still trust the person who's taking you there. When you can't understand all that he's doing and it doesn't make sense, you can certainly trust that he's a promise-keeping God. In Luke chapter 1, in your message notes, verse 28 and 29, the angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored, the Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But then look at the last few words in our reading. Mary says these words, I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May your words to me be fulfilled. Then the Lord, or then the angel left her. So what she said at the end of this is like, all right, God, I'm the servant, you're in charge. And whatever you want to say about me, whatever you want to do with me, just do it. Let it happen. She, She was able to move from just being stuck in her confusion and in the anxiety of the moment and in her bewilderment. And I'm not sure she left it completely, but she wasn't stuck in it. And she was able to say, I trust you, Lord. I'm your servant. You're writing the story, and if you're writing the story, I can trust you to write the story. I think that for those of us that have been Christians for a while, this is one of those things the Lord might want to speak into our life at this season. And if you're one of those people, and you find yourself in a situation that isn't exactly the way you thought it would be, you're a little upside down emotionally, the Christmas story is a reminder to all of us in that situation God can be trusted, that he's not done. He's still writing the story. We sing the song often, he's a good, good father. Meaning that as he writes the story, he only has good in mind for you. This is part of the Christmas message that those outside of the church, those who are in a relationship with Jesus, they don't fully understand. They don't know the nature of our heavenly father, the author and the finisher of our faith. They don't know that. And so we gather regularly at Christmas. We're going to do it on Christmas Eve. And one of the things I'm going to try to impress on them is that God can be trusted with everything in your life. And some of you are going to invite your friends. I hope you all will. I'm going to give you a chance to think about that in just a moment. But we're going to invite them into the room. And I'm going to say to every one of them, it's my commitment to you. You bring them and I'll give them the gospel. And at the end of our time, when I'm done speaking, I'm going to look at them. And with great clarity, I'm going to explain that God can be trusted enough that you can give him your life. You can give him your soul. He'll take care of you here now and in eternity. And many of them will make that decision. And then they'll get up from that decision And they'll realize they're going to have to make that decision over and over and over again in this regard. Even after they trust him with their life, there are going to be moments you're going to have to reaffirm their trust in him. I'm not saying they have to get saved all over again. But they're going to have to, in a new way, with fresh eyes, say, God, I trusted you back then and I still trust you now. Because you're the God who keeps his promises. You're the God when he speaks, it comes to pass. 
So then number three on your message notes. Mary responded to fear and uncertainty with faith. That's what faith is. Faith doesn't say I have it all figured out. Faith doesn't say I'm even free of my emotions. There's some, I would imagine there was still some stuff going on in Mary. We get a little hint of that later. She's, the Bible tells us that Mary observed all things and she pondered them in her heart. I've often wondered what that meant in her life. Sometimes I ponder because I don't have the words. Sometimes I ponder because it's deep and I still have to. Sometimes I ponder because I'm not sure I like what's going on. I don't know what all it meant for Mary. But she was learning to engage her fear with faith. It wasn't that the fear was gone, but that her faith was rising up. So then number four, what sustained Mary was remembering what the Lord had spoken to her. You're highly favored. You're blessed. I'm going to do a great work in you. The world is going to be blessed by your faithfulness. She remembered what the Lord had spoken to her. And in that moment when she was in that decision place between being consumed by fear and worry or just relegating herself to nothing, she learned how to live in that space by remembering what God had said. It's not unusual for me from this stage to encourage you to get into the Bible and to read the Bible. And come January, I'm going to give you an opportunity to make a commitment again, to read the Bible. And some of you have done this before. You've tried to read the Bible through in a year. You've maybe done it five or six times and get to about numbers. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and you discover that book has a bunch of numbers in it, and they don't seem all that relevant, and so you've read the first several chapters of the Bible a bunch of times. There's a reason that I'm trying to get you to read the Bible. I want you to know what God has said about you. I, I want you to take what he said about you and bring it into your life, because I know you're going to be like me, you're going to be like Mary. There's going to be moments with the twist, with the turn, and unexpected, and if you can remember what the Lord has said, It'll help you span the gap between your fear and your faith. I want you to know what he said. So number five, when the plot twists come, I think you'll either react in fear or respond in faith. You'll either act in fear or respond in faith. I've done both. I've done both. I have at times responded in fear comes out in words, comes out in action, sometimes it comes out in hiddenness. And then there are other times I've responded in faith. And i got to tell you, as a Christian, responding in faith has always put me in a better place than responding in fear. In fact, sometimes I look back over my life at moments when I was upside down emotionally and overwhelmed, and I look at how I respond, I'm a little embarrassed by that. And those moments give us an opportunity to say, God, I'm in one of those places, and I I have to make a choice here. Am I going to react out of fear or am I going to let you use this to grow my faith and am I going to express my trust in you through this process? So that mess that comes into our life, number six, the mess allows us to see that only God can bring hope, strength, and peace to some of the challenges of our life. And that's part of what God wants you to see. I don't know all that God's doing when he takes your life on a twist, when you get a report you weren't expecting, when you got a, you know, a bill. I remember one time when Jill and I made a hardcore commitment. 
we were going to get our finances in order and we were kind of processing and we're working and we were making traction. And it seemed like in the next three months, everything in the house broke. Like, I'm thinking we should have never, ever decided we were going to honor God with our finances because when we were not trying to honor him, the water heater worked, the air conditioner worked, the TV worked, the cars worked. It felt like the moment we decided we're going to take a step forward. So, so, what, so what's God doing in that? One of the things he's doing is he's saying, you can trust me. You can trust me. I'm dependable. What I've said over you will come to pass. I'm going to say it to you one more time. Number seven, when you don't understand what God is doing, remember what God has spoken. And on your message notes, it won't be up on the screen, I've got a handful of statements that the Lord has spoken about you in the pages of the Bible. And they apply to a broad range of life experiences. I just want to read them out over you and see if any of these might speak into your life where you are right now and move you from fear or anxiety or worry or control to a perspective of faith. Here they are, and I have them for you so you can take them home. I'm a child of God. I'm a child of God. I am God's workmanship. That passage quoted right there is also on the board right over here in the back of our room. Where God's handiwork. The Greek word there is poema. You're a poem that God is writing. It's beautiful. It has rhythm. It's a word picture. That's what God says about you. He's writing the story of your life and it's poetry. I'm totally and completely forgiven. I'm God's child. I am Jesus' friend. I'm a friend of God. That's a big deal. Jesus said, I no longer call you servants, but friends. Changes everything. I'm a whole new person with a whole new life. When we baptize 12 Right now, 12, I think, or 14 people on December 10th right here in the, in the, in the pool that we're going to have on the stage. One of the things I'm going to say to him, it's a brand new day. Everything old is gone and the new has come. Everything can be rewritten by the God who's writing our life. I'm in a place where God's spirit lives. What that means is you're never alone. I'm created in God's likeness. I'm a citizen of heaven and I'm greatly loved. And these are just the things that I scratched the surface with in the Bible. Over and over and over again, God tells us things about us and the way he sees us. And I'm just going to say this to you. I have found when I keep that stuff in mind, I belong to him. He's my father. He's never thought an evil thought about me. He only is going to bring about good. In fact, he's going to work all things in my life for good. Not that all things will be good, but he will work it all for good. I'm just telling you, when I have that here, and I'm in that tension place between fear or faith, and I'm remembering what the Lord has said when I can't understand what he's doing, I'm just telling you, I'm in a better place. I'm in a better place. So even if you don't read the Bible, and you're not getting a regular dose of God's words into your life. At least take this list. Look at it from time to time. Remember what God has spoken about you. 
It'll help you not live in condemnation. It won't let you be as susceptible to what other people say about you as much. It won't make you uneasy about things you can't control as much. You'll begin to remember that you belong to him and that's a really good place to be. And the God who makes promises and who speaks can be trusted completely. This is the message of Christmas. He can be trusted completely. Why don't you uh, take that connect card now and let's take a few steps together as a congregation. I got to tell you that in just a few minutes, we're going to take communion together as a church. And this is an opportunity for us to affirm that we trust the Lord. There's a, a passage in the Bible that talks about taking communion in a manner that is unworthy. And every Christian who's ever read that passage gets a little nervous. Because you realize instantly, I'm not worthy of anything Jesus did for me. But that's not what the Bible's trying to say. It's saying that before you engage in communion, which commemorates the broken body of Jesus and his shed blood, that you should just stop and take a little inventory. How am I with the Lord today? How are things? How are things between me and other people? Is there something I need to make right? And it's a call to be serious and sober-minded about the act of remembering the Lord's death and resurrection. So we're going to do that in a moment after we take steps. But right now I'm wondering if anybody in the room needs to take next step A, which says, today I'm making Jesus my Savior and Lord. The Bible says that you can trust God here. That if you'll come to him and say, God, I'm a sinner and I can't save myself, but I'll trust you and the work that was accomplished by Jesus on the cross and in his resurrection. If you'll do that, the Bible says you can have a relationship with your heavenly father. You'll never earn it, never be good enough. Right? He's not going to grade on a, on a slanting scale or in a weighted scale. He's going to simply look and say, do you trust Jesus? And if you want to do that, you can just take your pen and mark A, and in a few moments when the offering buckets come by, you can drop your card in there, and we'll communicate with you about what it means to be in, with, with Jesus in a life-giving way. And in a moment when we pray, you can do business with God, and I'll direct you in that in my prayer. Or next step B today, I'm choosing to be baptized. You can join these folks on the 10th. And uh, you can celebrate um, with us, or we can talk to you about maybe next year. So if you have a question, check it. Now, next step C speaks specifically to Mary's story. It says that I'm encouraging you to pray a prayer each morning this week. It goes like this. God, I'm your servant. May your words to me be fulfilled. Help me to respond to my uncertainties with faith and not fear. So if you're in that place of uncertainty, this is your prayer every morning this week. Check it. We'll email it to you. I'm praying this prayer this week. There's some things outside of my control in my life, people I care about. And I'm saying, God, I'm going to respond to the uncertainties in my life with trust in you and that you're the God who writes the poetry of our lives. And next step, D, talks about our Christmas Eve, Eve service. Now, I'm going to give people a chance to look at Christmas. I need you to make sure they come. So next step, D says, I'll invite at least two people to our Christmas Eve, Eve service. There's two services, 7 and 9 p.m., and every week between now and then, I'm going to encourage you to invite somebody. There's two times it's easier than any other point in the year to invite people to church. One is at Easter, because if you have any religious background at all, you know that if you're not in church on Easter, lightning strikes you in the next year. So it's very easy. That's a joke, all right? The second time is Christmas, because we're going to have some great Christmas music. The building's going to be decorated. It's going to be a fun celebration. It'll be a great time to invite, but you've got to bring people in. So just check it, and I'll send you a little reminder, a little preview of where we're headed. And the next step, E says, 
hey, Ben, I'll bring my heart and hands Christmas offering to church before the Christmas Eve service. Here's why that's helpful. I'd like to know before we shut down the year kind of where we are now. You can give through January. We're going to go through like January 31. You can start now. So if you want to give online, it says uh, Christmas offering. You can just go right there. If you want to write a check, you can do that today. I'm going to give you a little update. Um, we are already over in cash on hand and a significant contribution. I just don't have, we're already over $17,000, which is higher than we've ever been at this point ever in a Christmas offering. God's doing something special, and I'd like for you to be a part of that. So if you want, just check the box. I'll send you a little information and a link to where you can give. What I'm going to do right now is I'm going to pray for our next steps. I'm going to also pray for our offering. And there's some folks who are going to come forward and help us receive our tithe and offering. And then I'm going to pause in the prayer for just a moment. Give you a chance to do a little business with God. And then we're going to sing a song. And as we're singing a song, we're going to take communion together. And you'll come forward and you'll grab a piece of bread which represents the broken body of Jesus. You'll dip it in the cup, which is grape juice, which represents his poured out blood and You'll put it in your mouth and you'll chew it and you'll swallow it. And the act of eating nourishes your body in this way. The act of communion nourishes you spiritually. I want you to get ready for that in our prayer. Would you pray with me right now? Father, I want to thank you for your son, Jesus. I want to thank you for the gift of Christmas. God, it sounds cliche, but it's true. It's really easy to get caught up in all the Christmas stuff that we forget the Christ of Christmas. We don't want that to happen. So I pray, Lord, you would give us fresh eyes, even in the story of Mary, Lord. Help us to see it. Help us to see the deeper layers of what's happening, that you can be trusted even when the things in our life aren't enjoyable. When we can't see what you're doing, we can still trust your word. Lord, I pray for my brothers and sisters in this room. I know a lot of them are carrying heavy burdens. And I pray, God, rather than giving in to fear, you would use this season to grow their faith. Lord, I want to lift up those people to you that are saying right now, Jesus, wash away my sins. Cover me by your shed blood. I trust the work you did on the cross and in your resurrection. I trust in that alone to save me. Father, as we get ready to take communion together as a congregation, would your spirit quicken our hearts to what needs to be in our heart and on our mind in the next few moments? God, if we need encouragement, would you speak that to us now? Lord, if we need conviction, would you speak that to us now? Lord, if, if there's a hurt that needs to be healed, would you bring the salve of your spirit even now? God, if there's a call on our life, a step you want us to take, would you make it clear to us, Lord, even right now? Father, as we give back a portion of what you've blessed us with, 
I pray, Lord, that you would take these tithes and offerings and you would use it to support your church and you would make our ministry impact deep and wide. Thank you for faithful people. Thank you for the generosity that has allowed James and the work in India to thrive. God, I want to boldly ask you to help us not only reach our goal for the Christmas offering, but to supersede it. I pray that not one person who calls Four Corners Church home would miss out on the opportunity to be a part of what you're doing. We pray all these things in the name of Jesus, God's strong and holy Son. Amen.